Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here, and it's Labor Day weekend, which means all of us have something in common. None of us own a boat. I think it's really great that we can get the boatless together to talk sometimes, you know, about land things that we care about. Uh, but this is an exciting time. It's a, it's a transition time, right? And as a young adult, I didn't understand that. You know, I, I go to work on the work days, and I don't go to work on the weekends. All time is the same. What are you talking about? You know, summer. Uh, but I get it now. I have a kid in school, right? And so this is a time where we transition, and a time when we're transitioning is a good time to assess, right? So here at the summit, we are a family of grace, believing and becoming the gospel. And we have a lot of things uh, happening in the next few weeks and months. And this is a great time to consider how involved uh, you want to be in that mission. And one of the best ways to be involved is to join a community group. We had community group signups in August. And you might be thinking, well, now it's September. Did I miss the boat? Friends, there are no boats here, right? <laughs> totally safe. And it's not too late. So if you'd like to sign up, there's information about community groups in the back corner over here to my left. And in fact, we call that our red welcome wall. And if you're new here, we'd love to know more about you and love to tell you more about us. So please come see us over there afterwards. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. If a big group of people were going to listen to you for hopefully under 35 minutes, what would you tell them? I was asked this question indirectly a while ago when I opened up the preaching schedule and it said, date, September 3rd, speaker, Aaron Embry, Topic, question mark. It's a standalone sermon. I can talk about whatever I want. And I, I didn't even make a list. I want to talk about prayer. We just finished three weeks of talking about the mission of our church, how we live in our communities. And before that, we were talking about James, who gets in our face and asks us, now that you know Jesus, what are you going to do? It's been an immensely practical, street-level couple of months. And today, before we resume the Book of Mark, and we will next week, I want to talk to you about what I think is the most fundamental, most practical aspect of following Jesus, prayer. Now, the Bible is full of people praying. It's full of actual prayers. Psalms is wall-to-wall prayers. So where do we start? Well, when uncertain, consult Jesus. We're going to look at a parable from Luke's gospel. It's usually called the parable of the persistent widow. In Luke 18, and he told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not give justice, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, unlike almost all other parables, we're immediately told what this one is about. Jesus told this story to encourage his followers, specifically, that they should always pray and not lose heart. And this parable is often taken to be about persistence, persistence in prayer. And you could see why that would be. The widow's persistence is rewarded. She gets what she wants. And Jesus did say the parable was about always praying. But I don't think it's about persistence. I think this parable is about waiting, how to wait to be more precise, a specific kind of waiting for a specific kind of event. And to see that, you have to read this story in light of the material around it. These gospels and the rest of scripture aren't meant to be consumed one verse or even one chapter at a time. Directly before this story in Luke 17, 20, the Pharisees are quizzing Jesus as they like to do. That kingdom, Jesus, you keep talking about, where is it? When's it going to come? And Jesus tells them, and I'm going to paraphrase here, you don't have to go looking for it. It's here among you right now. And I'm sure the Pharisees found this very unsatisfying because they didn't see it. Their country was still full of oppressors, but that's not the kind of kingdom Jesus is talking about, and he turns to his followers, and he addresses them, and more paraphrasing, he tells them, I am going to leave, and you won't see me anymore, and you will have to wait for me, but I will return in a way you can't miss with the kingdom. And it's immediately after this that he tells this parable, and he ends it by asking if he'll find faith on the earth when he returns? Or, how will you have waited for me? The thing we should not lose heart about is waiting for the return of our Lord. And while we're waiting, we should always pray. This parable is about how to live in that waiting. And what I would like to convince you of today is that a prayerful waiting is not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It's a waiting for the kingdom that also brings the kingdom, brings it into our hearts and brings it into the world. Jesus is asking us, how do we make use of this time? How have you been making use of this time? I wonder if some of us have seen the ugliness in the world Violence, racism, hatred, and you've lost heart. Doesn't seem like the kingdom is coming. This parable encourages us in our waiting by showing us what the king of our awaited kingdom is like and who we are to him. And it does this not by analogy, but by contrast. Analogy is the way I'm inclined to approach parables. 
figure out who is who. Am I the, the pearl or the farmer? This parable doesn't work that way. It has two characters, and both are inverted, flipped, backwards representations. The judge is not a good judge. The entire purpose of a judge is to make just decisions. But this judge does not fear God nor respect people. That is, he doesn't care about the principles of justice, nor does he care about the people who are seeking it. For the first hearers of this parable, this would have been an obvious, maybe even humorous contrast, as God is depicted through the Old Testament as the ultimate judge, wise, understanding, and fully aware of the plight of the oppressed. And then the widow. Recall that a widow in this society is one of the most vulnerable. There's no social security. There's no company pensions. There's no life insurance. Families provide those functions. And without a husband, her connection to the security of those relationships is in jeopardy. She's living outside the norm for her society. And so in this parable, we have a person who's least likely to get justice, asking someone who's least likely to give it. It seems like a hopeless situation. And yet she gets justice. By simply fatiguing this unjust judge, he grants what he's not inclined to give to eliminate a nuisance. And so Jesus points out the contrast. If even an unjust judge will hear a widow, isn't it obvious? that God, who is the source of love and blessing, will hear his people that he chose to bless because he loves them? Why do you doubt it? Why do we doubt it? It's because it doesn't always feel like that, right? And it says right there that God will be quick about it, not delay. I feel like I have a lot of unanswered prayers. Isn't this parable telling me to just keep at it? Well, no, I, I don't think so. Recall we're waiting. We were told that we'll have to wait. Waiting for the fullness of a kingdom that's already here. It's a tension between a now that also has a not yet. And it's a situation that Jesus understands might lead us to lose heart. That's why he's telling us this. We're so close, but not there. And the power against that discouragement is prayer. How does that work? When we pray, what are we doing? Are we asking for things? Sometimes, most of the time. We're often asking for something, guidance or some quality in us. Sometimes we're asking for actual stuff. Sometimes we're grateful. Sometimes we complain. But when we think about unanswered prayers, we generally mean the ones where we're asking for something. God is a good judge, and he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. He's got all the omnis, omni, omni, omni. He knows that there are things we need. So why doesn't he just give them to us? More on that in a minute, but as much as we pray for things, I don't think we can conclude that prayer, that the purpose of prayer is so that God understands what we need or even provides the thing we need. 
People are blessed by God in all kinds of ways without ever specifically asking for it. Consider this. We believe the Bible is the primary vehicle through which God reveals himself to the world. And if that's so, have you ever wondered why the Bible is a document written thousands of years ago, over thousands of years, in languages that most people today can't speak, that relatively speaking, hardly any of it is actual instructions directly for me. It's mostly stories and songs and poems from cultures that are a little hard to relate to. If God wanted us to know who he is, why doesn't he do something a little more direct? I mean, the sky is huge and pretty much empty. Some glowing letters explaining what exactly I need to know would, I assume, be trivial for him to do. And it would work if we believe the point of God's revelation is that so we can know him. There's a difference between knowledge and experience. You know, until this summer, I had never been to a beach. Yeah. <laughs> it's the boat thing again, I guess. I knew what a beach was, right? But I'd never experienced it. It is totally different to know about a thing and to experience a thing, right? And when the thing is a person, the difference is even greater because a person can experience us back. We call that a relationship. I think God has revealed himself in this book with all of its complexities and mysteries and difficulties as an invitation, an invitation to interact, an invitation to ask, an invitation to turn to other people and bring them in. What do you make of this God? The Bible isn't meant to give us just a knowledge of God, but a knowledge that invites an experience and an experience that invites a relationship. And relationships are interactive. And that's where we get to prayer. I've been thinking about the way we move towards God in three categories. And there's nothing absolute about these categories, and there's certainly crossover, but they help me think about this. We study and we worship, and we pray. Study engages the intellect, reading the Bible, reading things about the Bible, talking about the Bible. Worship engages the emotions. You know, for some of us, the word worship, when we say that, we mean singing. And I think there is more to worship than that, but we make that association rightly because music engages our emotions in a unique way. We all have songs that transport us to the way we felt when they were part of our lives. Mbop, anybody remember that? Hanson, right? Those guys are like 40 now, by the way, I looked. That was the summer before junior year. That song played everywhere. And I remember what that time felt like, right? I go right back there when I hear that. When we worship, we're expressing how we feel about God. Prayer engages all of it. I'll say something that might be uncomfortable. We study and we worship so that we can pray. 
Is there anyone in your life that you have read a lot about and occasionally you sing to them about how they make you feel, but you have never talked to them? Yeah, I don't have anybody like that. And they would certainly be getting an experience of you, but you wouldn't call it a relationship. Now, if we didn't study and worship, we wouldn't know who we're talking to when we pray. They are very important, but they are not ends unto themselves. They enable something much deeper, much greater, real relationship, real friendship with the Lord of all things, nothing less. So back to our parable. We see here an expression by contrast of how to live, how to pray in the waiting. And it's a thing so simple that even though it is very powerful, it's easy to miss. The judge is a contrast. The widow is a contrast. And their relationship is a contrast. The judge wants the widow to just go away. And God wants to draw us near. Pray like God wants you. Pray like God loves you, like he really does, really wants to help you. Pray like he's smiling at you. He is. Pray like he delights in blessing you. Pray like you're his child. Pray like he paid an enormous price to adopt you. Pray like he humbled himself to a shameful death on a cross for you. That's kind of it, but there's 15 more minutes, so I'm going to keep going. When I was a kid, maybe six, seven, eight, something like that, I remember being afraid of the dark, or at least being afraid of bedtime. I was just certain that something terrible would happen to me in the night, and so I would pray. Every night I would pray, God, please protect me. And over time, my prayers got more elaborate. I remember appending ever-increasing amounts of ceremony to the end of my prayer. I would say, protect me tonight, please, and then pretty please, and then pretty please with sugar on it. I guess people said that. I, don't... I specifically remember over and over praying pretty, 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 pretty please with sugar on it and a cherry on top. I actually said that. And, and I wouldn't have thought about it at the time like this, but I was praying like I had to convince God to care about me. And as I got older, my, my fears became different, maybe no less, maybe not the dark anymore. And my prayers lost their childish words, but I kept the idea that I had to convince God to help me, that I had to plead with him to save me. And I would rehash the same things over and over. I'd been presented with the idea that the door into following Jesus was prayer, a specific prayer to invite Jesus into my heart. And I was never quite sure if I'd done it right. I'd pray it over and over again. I, I knew God was good. I knew he loved me. But I didn't talk to him like he actually did. I was treating him like the unjust judge. I wasn't taking him at his word. I'm not a, a lawn enthusiast. I've heard some really good lawn care related sermon illustrations. They're very <laughs> relatable, right? 
but I've never used any because the whole proposition of a lawn, I just find uncompelling. <laughs> Here's the invitation. Spend time and money to make the grass taller so that you can spend time and money to make it shorter again. <laughs> if this were a business plan, I would get no investors, right? And, and my harvest is useless. It'd be one thing if I could burn it for electricity or make a salad out of it. Granted, I haven't tried to make a salad out of it, but it, it's good for nothing. I can't even throw it away normally. It's like nuclear waste. It has its own disposal system, right? I mean, there's got to be a better way to connect the front of my house to the street, right? That's all it's, all it's got to do. I get it. Lawns are for looking at. I guess they're art, right? I, I just, what rankles me is that owning a home comes with a forced side gig of being the world's worst farmer, you know? But I do like the equipment associated with lawn maintenance, right? Yeah? My, my dad owned a tractor dealership when I was a kid. And if I could justify owning a tractor, I would. But as I mentioned, my quarter-acre agribusiness is already wildly unprofitable. So it doesn't seem like a really good investment. So I have a push mower. I like my push mower. And I had a, I had a string trimmer, an electric string trimmer, 18 volts, you know. And if I let the grass go a little too long, as I am inclined to do, it would struggle. I'd have to go over the same patch of grass over and over again, and it just, it didn't do much. And so a few weeks ago, I got tired of this, and I went out and I got a 56-volt string trimmer. With, yeah, yeah, with two strands of string on it, right? And so I go outside to the lawn, and I, uh, I pull the trigger all the way, maximum speed, and I, I get in there. <laughs> I had to take a step back. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> uh, because there was a cloud of grass clippings and a puff of dirt and a shower of pea gravel. I mean, it turns out the old trimmer, it just tickled the grass. This thing excavates, you know? And I go back in the house and my son says, Daddy, we heard rocks hitting the house. <laughs> yes, my son. Yes, you did. It was a totally different experience. I was doing something that looked similar to somebody on the outside, but the experience of it was totally different. And back when I was appending Pretty Please and all of the later adult versions of trying to convince God to hear me, I wasn't praying to a God who loved me, who wanted to help me. And it was like tickling the grass. It just didn't do much. But as I have learned and am still learning to pray to a God who actually wants me, who wants to be my friend, who cares deeply about me, about what's going on with me, that prayer feels much more powerful. Because if I'm really trusting that he is loving me the way he loves himself, I can start to believe that what God gives me is better than what I ask for. And that the waiting is for my benefit.
I will share with you the prayer that has been the most powerful in my life. It has been and is still being answered years ago. I felt like I was finally starting to know God. Know who he was and know who I was to him, but my feelings didn't line up with my knowledge. I knew all these things, but when I interacted with people day to day, the way I felt about the things that happened to me, they didn't align with what I knew. I was finding my worth in things that weren't him, and when those things, my idols, were threatened, I was crushed. But I knew I didn't have to be. But I was. I felt like I couldn't help it, and it grieved me deeply. Now, something I think about quite a bit when we prepare these, I prepare these, is with this many people in the room, we're in a lot of different places. And something that you might really need to hear might be really difficult for you to hear. So what I'm about to say may not be for you, but I think as you follow Jesus, if it hasn't been for you already, it will be eventually what I realized was that I needed to change. Not change a little, change a lot, fundamentally. And I wanted it, but I couldn't do it. And this is the part to be careful with. Not change so that I could become acceptable. Some of us are wrestling with trusting that God loves us right now, right like we are. And that's okay, he does. But for me, in that moment, I wasn't living like Christ lived. I wasn't living like Christ died and rose for me. And it was causing me great grief. And I didn't know what to do with it. I, I couldn't move towards it on my own. If there were some switch in my head I could flip to feel different, to change my heart, I would flip it. But I couldn't. The prayer I prayed back then was difficult for me because it required vulnerability, which I'm not good at, and trust, which I'm not good at. Real, there's no going back now, trust. And what I said was, God, do what it takes to change my heart. I've tried to change it, and it won't. You're going to have to do it. And God, do what it takes. I'm stubborn. I'm going to resist. Drag me kicking and screaming if you have to. Make me sick. Make me poor. Make me lonely. Strip me of whatever I hang on to that isn't you. Do what it takes. And it's the do what it takes part that was scary because I don't know what it's going to take. I had prayed a lot of times before to change. I had prayed a lot of times before for God to heal what was broken in me, but I always wanted my hand on the wheel. I wanted to go by the easiest possible road. Maybe I can tickle the weeds away. But what if the road just isn't easy? I wasn't ready for a change that might hurt. I was too afraid to ask God to confront me, make me uncomfortable to be changed in a way that I wasn't in control of. 
But I prayed, and I had to be empty of a lot of things before I could. The only way to pray, do what it takes, and really mean it, is to trust that God really does love you, really will draw you near. God is faithful and merciful. And he has been answering that prayer for me. And to make sure that you don't think I'm telling you this from some place of arrival, right, where I'm past all of that, you know, my relationship with God has deepened in the time since I prayed that prayer. And even in the last few weeks, I once again find myself looking at Christ and looking at my heart and being grieved at the distance between what I know and what I feel. Turns out there are more idols in there. And just recently, I prayed it again. Do what it takes. And I'm waiting. But he's been faithful before, and he will be again. What gets between you and prayer? Maybe you're different, but it's a lot easier for me to study than it is to pray. It's easier for me to worship than it is to pray, and I am not a good singer. The guys back here, they're in charge of making sure this mic is muted during the songs. Go shake their hands later. They're heroes. <laughs> I think that's true for a lot of us. And it's because, not the singing part, some of you are great singers. I mean, the, the praying is difficult part because we're not sure if prayer is safe. What I mean is, out of the three, study and worship and prayer, prayer is the most likely to change us. And change is scary. There may be things I don't like about my situation, but it's my situation. I know it, right? Knowledge doesn't require change. There are plenty of people who have made careers out of the Bible and are unconvinced. Worship, even, doesn't require change. My affections might cool, and what have I lost? But a relationship, prayer, requires change. In relationship, you begin to rely on the other. And broken relationships break the people that were in them. The more we pray, the more we have to lose. We're committed. It's a point of no return. I think a relationship with Jesus is worth changing for. Not changing to start a relationship. He did that by taking on human form to be with us. Not changing to keep a relationship. He did that by dying and rising again for us. Changing because he is drawing us into a bigger kind of life. A kind of life where our old way of thinking, our old way of acting and reacting just doesn't make sense anymore. So you're gonna see some practical things here on Sunday mornings. You're going to see us praying more together, and we're going to start that here in just a minute. And while we're being practical, I hope you are encouraged to pray more outside of these walls. I talked about prayer having a purpose to build a real relationship with God, and our relationship with God also has a purpose in this time of waiting, to join him on his mission. It was our purpose from the beginning to be God's representatives, his image, to spread the blessing of his abundant life to all of his creation. 
when we join that mission, prayer has another purpose. When we pray for each other, for our communities, when we put others ahead of ourselves like Jesus did, prayer deploys kingdom of heaven resources on the earth for the advancement of the kingdom. This is active waiting. This is doing the work of the kingdom while the king is still on his way. You know, Jesus had a couple of parables that I found unsettling as a kid growing up in church. There's the absent master in Mark 13, where the master of the house is away, leaving his servants in charge, and they better look out because they don't know when he'll be back. Don't let him catch you sleeping. There's the homeowner and the thief in Matthew 24. Again, the theme is, be ready. I'll be back when you least expect it. And using my view of God, who needed to be convinced to hear my prayer, I thought these parables were about performance, about being good all of the time, like Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not cry. He's coming for you. Is that... I realize now that can't possibly be what these are about. They're about how we wait. Do we wait for the kingdom sitting on our hands or using them? We are the visible body of Christ. For a lot of people, we are his hands. There are things to do, and prayer is our most powerful tool. Now let's clear a possible misconception Via prayer, you can ask your friend, the king of the universe, to, de- to help, to deploy the resources of heaven on earth. Now, if you've been entrusted with some of those resources already, use them for the kingdom. If your friend is hungry, don't pray for them to be fed while you're holding a hamburger. You can just give them the hamburger. God has raised you and your hamburger up for this moment. That's James again you know, getting in our face, right? But there are many things that can't be solved with the resources we already have. And ultimately, only God is going to advance his kingdom. But we've all been entrusted with a very real role in how that happens. What we pray matters. Prayer is action. Sometimes we say, all I can do is pray as if that's some kind of lesser help. We have a cultural phrase, thoughts and prayers. Those aren't the same. That's like saying Nerf bolts and nuclear weapons. Like, they share some, but they're not interchangeable, right? Don't, don't equate thoughts and prayers. Thoughts for someone is a lesser help. It's, it's actually kind of no help at all. It's, I wish I could help. At best, prayer is not wishing. It is calling upon the power of heaven to be active on the earth. Now, someone's asking, is he saying that prayer actually makes things happen? Yes, I am saying that. So are there things that do or do not happen because people pray or don't pray about them? Yes. But, But isn't God omni, 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 and everything works out just like he wants? Yes. How can that be? I don't know. You know, is, is light a, a particle? Is it made of particles? 
Many experimental observations say that yes, it is. Is light a wave like a sound wave? Many experimental observations say yes, it is. Can it be both of those things? No, but it is. I was actually going to explain the whole particle wave duality thing. I had slides about it, but it was like 10 minutes long, so I know you're disappointed. I, I cut it. Maybe next time. But the point of that is, that's just a simple observation we can make about the world. If a question as simple as how does a light bulb work presents us with mind-bending paradoxes, you know, it doesn't really bother me that the answer to do your prayers matter and is God in complete control are both yes. The world is a big place, and some things are just beyond our comprehension, and I don't know why the creator of the world should be any less big. So I don't really have like a grandiose conclusion here. Prayer is powerful, but it's, it's kind of not grandiose. It's, it's just, it's quiet, right? And so let's pray more. Let's just talk to God and listen to God more than we did yesterday. Let's just try it and see what happens. But I don't know how to pray. There's really no way to do it wrong other than not doing it. It's, it's talking. But I'm angry. It's not a problem for prayer. You'll have a lot to talk about. But I'm too busy. Sorry, but you're not too busy. People can be too busy for an afternoon or a day. But over the course of weeks and months and years, nobody's too busy. We just set priorities. You might be thinking, oh, you don't, you don't get it. My, you don't understand, my life is frantic. I really am too busy. Okay, I don't understand. But I think if you look at the things that are pressing on you and you trace them back, you'll see that you set priorities maybe years ago. Set a priority right now that leads to a flood of prayer. Let's start right now. There is no wrong way to do this, and we have carved out some time. If the God who loves you is going to talk to you for two minutes, what would you talk about? Let's pray. Let's pray.